The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, welcome to Advent Part 2. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1, so go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, let me catch you up, okay? Uh, last week we started this Advent season, and this word Advent, it means uh, coming or arrival. And so uh, we're not going to just celebrate uh, a birth, but, but God himself coming uh, and arriving and him becoming flesh. But it also can be referred to as his, his second coming. So he did come once in the flesh uh, for love and hope, uh, and the second coming is on its way, and that's what we as Christians uh, eagerly, eagerly anticipate. And so uh, last week what we said uh, was that hope had come to us. Uh, hope had come to us. I mean, so many of us were looking for hope or longing for hope. We're, we're trying to find hope in so many different ways. But uh, last week we talked about how the word became flesh and it came uh, to us. And we would say that hope is kind of a stem from brokenness. And what I mean by that is is we all would say something has been broken. And because of that brokenness, it leaves us longing for hope. Are you, are you with me on that? And so because something is broken, something uh, is not only broken with us, but something inside of us, uh, we would say that it is a result of sin. Uh, that's what the Bible says. It's what we're going to proclaim. Uh, and and the John chapter 1 would call this sin darkness. Okay, and so, and so here we are, uh, something's broken, something's gone wrong, everyone knows it. Uh, Romans chapter 3 is clear that we've all walked in darkness, that we've all felt the weight of sin, that we've all felt the weight of brokenness. Uh, we feel it, it says that no one is righteous, not even one. And let me tell you, that is God himself. When we experience brokenness, when we experience that something's gone wrong, something's been fractured, this is God himself revealing to us with inside our hearts that we are in need of a Savior. When we feel the weight of that brokenness, it tells us something's gone wrong, we are in need of hope. It's, um, it's what we're all searching for. Hope, it's what we're all longing for. It's, it's what we all uh, strive after and try to attain. It's, it's, it's why we love self-help books, right? I mean, you go to the bookstore, you find the section of self-help, all right? And there's, there's a thousand books there that say, this is what's going to solve your brokenness, all right? And so we try to find the right book by the right author with the right thing that says, okay, I want to help this brokenness, this weight, this darkness, this thing that I feel. And so we go to the bookstore and we try and find this deal. And, and although we may not confess it verbally, it's what we believe. If I was just, if I was just prettier, if I was just skinnier, if I was just, if I had just lost a little bit of weight, if I, if I had, if I had some, if I had some more money, if I, if I had a little more success, if I had, if I had a little uh, more power, if I was just a little smarter, if I had uh, some education, and so I'm going to try and find out how I can solve this problem. If I had, if I had the right boyfriend, or if I had the right girlfriend, or if I had a husband or a wife, then uh, if, I, if I had kids, or if I had better kids, smarter kids, more athletic kids, if my kids were just a, a little different, then, 
then I could have hope. Then I could find comfort. Then, then I would be complete. Then I would be happy. So whether we confess that verbally or not, we're all looking and longing. And, and some, some, some will even say that, uh, that religion is the Savior. Okay, maybe it's not weight loss. Maybe it's not uh, happiness. Maybe it's not a family. Maybe it's not kids. But maybe religion will save us because we're all longing. We're all broken. We're all looking for something. And so maybe religion would save us. Maybe if I would just be a, be a good person. Maybe if I could do more good than I did bad, then my conscience would be clean. If I could just somehow live a right life before God, then my shame would be removed, then my guilt would be removed, uh, then my conscience would be right with God, and I can say, I'm okay, I have hope, I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl. But look in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It's the text we covered last week. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. He, okay, so you have this Word, you have this Word that was in the beginning, you have this Word that was with God, and this Word that was God, and then in verse 2 it says, He, it's referring to Jesus Christ, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. Now, I I just need to reaffirm something to you, that that darkness, that sin, that brokenness that we all feel, it says that Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, came and shined Hope shined light, shined love in the darkness. Hear this. And the darkness has not overcome it. Not more stuff. Not more things. Not, there's not a present under the biggest tree, the biggest box. There's not a present under there that's going to solve the darkness. There's nothing. God knew there was nothing. And so we need God himself to intervene. And the Bible is going to tell us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome the light, that he was the light. The darkness cannot be overcome through good behavior. The darkness cannot be overcome through stuff through relationships, through self-help. The darkness can be overcome only by God himself becoming our Savior. The Bible would say that if we could somehow push back this darkness on our own, if we could somehow find a way that would finally match this hope that we're longing for, if we could somehow find this item that will solve all our problems, then we wouldn't need a Savior. And it says that Christ died for nothing. But God himself, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if we just simply stop right there, if we just simply stop right there and say, okay, Jesus has overcome the darkness. 
Jesus has been the light. Jesus is the life of men. Jesus is the, the Savior. Jesus is the, Jesus is the one. If we, just, if we just stop right there, then all we have, follow me, is just information and knowledge. That's all we've got. But we have to remember why the Gospel of John was written. I've got it here. John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, These things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in that, by believing, you may have life in his name. So he says, these things are given to you. These things are written for us. These things have been brought to us, not just for knowledge's sake, not just for information's sake, so that we would believe. So that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, we would have life. We would have life. John 10.10, it says, Jesus comes in to the world so that you might have life and life to the full. Talked about it last week. This is a difference between just simple existence and life. Jesus says, I've come so that you may have life and have life to the full. This is life upon life. This is an overflowing life. This is an abundant life. This is life in excess. This is life upon life and grace upon grace. This is not just living, breathing, going to work and coming home life. This is life to the full. And Jesus says, that's what I've come to bring. And so the way to have life to life is by believing in him. Not things about him, but believing in him. John 5, 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears these words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life, who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So to have this life, there has to be some sort of receiving, some sort of believing, not just, not just simple cognitive uh, surface knowledge, but there's a, there's a receiving that Jesus is the light of men. And so here's the danger. Here's the danger for us Christians, the danger to our belief, the danger to our faith, the danger into knowing Christ and experiencing life to the full. The danger is that we can subtly begin to key on ourselves rather than Jesus. You hear that? The danger is that we can think, we can begin to subtly think that the light that has come to men is about us is about me rather than being about Jesus. When we think of Jesus coming in the flesh, when we think of Jesus coming in the incarnation, when we see the word become flesh and dwelt among us, we can slowly begin to, begin to think that that centers around us. But this Advent season, this moving forward, this, this Christmas season, May we, may we sidestep that danger and realize that Jesus' coming is not about the Christian, but rather the Christ. It's not, about, it's not about the Christian. It's not about us. It's about him. 
It's because this is the most world-altering, one-of-a-kind, most magical coming that the world has ever known. Hear me. It's more magical than Santa. And if we think it's about us, we miss the the world-changing act of God coming to us. But it creeps in there, doesn't it? And so if our Christmas season doesn't flow from or doesn't drive us toward the worship of the one who came, then our labor's in vain. All right? Let's look at John chapter 1 again. Let's move forward. Let me read to you verse 1 through 5 again. So it will flow into 6, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John chapter 1, in the first five verses, that's about who? Jesus. Okay, you can say that here. Yeah, uh, it's about Jesus. All right, now look in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is not a trick question, but the next verse is about who? John, okay? All right, so we've got uh, the first intro uh, about Jesus, the word coming. Uh, He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. Then all of a sudden in verse 6, we see an introduction to John. Kind of weird. But what do we do with it? How do we handle this? 2 Timothy 3.16, because it's scripture, we've got to deal with it. It says, all scripture is breathed out of God, profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work. So what is happening with the abrupt left turn that, that the writer is saying when he says, here is Jesus in his magnificence. This is God, the word, everything was created. And, and the word has penetrated the darkness. And here's John. And what do we do with that? We've got to handle it some way. I believe we must understand that the writer's telling us that God is not about our comfort. despite of what you've been taught or may believe or may think, this is not it. When you're talking about the Christian life, when you're talking about following Jesus, let me tell you, this is not it. Look around you. It's warm, it's pretty. This is... This is not it. The Christian walk, the following Jesus has never been about, is not about coming to church. It's never been about singing some songs, reading out of a really old book, taking an hour, hour and a half out of your day, and then going home and watching football. That's not what this is about. But somehow in our, in our world, we think that this, is, that this is it. Let me lovingly tell you, this is not it. This is 
This is the gathering of believers. This is, this is not what we're called to. It cannot be, it cannot be the climax of our Christian faith. Let's, let's not kid ourselves, okay? I know that I'm a little different. But, but here's what I know. Is one day I'll be 70, I'll be 80 years old. And you'll be bored with me. I know I could be a little entertaining, but, but here's the deal. Down the road, at one point, you're going to say, that's him. No offense, Matt, but that's him. 30, 40 years from now, you're eventually going to get bored with this deal. I think it's one of the reasons why so many people church hop and church shop. It's because at some point they just got tired of whatever it was and they just need something new and something different. And so we'll search for it, we'll find it, and we'll be there for a little while. This is not it. This is not what Christianity following Jesus is about. Here's the deal, is I believe it's why that so many get confused about Christianity. It's because they see Christians who, maybe not with their mouth, but with their lives, say that this is it. And so I see them, I watch them, they, they, they're just like me. They just give up an hour on their Sundays. So that must be it. That must be what this is about. But in reality, let me, let me, let me just tell you that it's not it. And my fear is that outside this place, there's so many people who confess Jesus but have very little walk with God. Outside of church, there's very little relationship. There's very little experience with God himself. Okay, hear me. Because the world sees it. And they know it. We're not fooling anybody. And so John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the middle of this epic introduction of Jesus Christ, right in the middle of it says there was a man who's sent by God whose name was John. I think from the very outset, from the very beginning, that was God's way of, of, of showing us that the light of Christ, the light that has come into the world, that has overcome the darkness, is to be proclaimed and heralded and shown through his church, through his people. Right in verse 6, he introduced, he says, there was a man who sent from God, whose name was John. Let me ask you a question. Is God all-powerful? Absolutely he is. 
He's absolutely. And, and so is it true that God doesn't have to include us in the redeeming of the world? Yes. I mean, if he has all power, he doesn't have to include us on anything. I mean, he could have made the gospel known in a million other ways. And he does in a million other ways, doesn't he? He could have, he could have wrote it on the sky. He could have, he could have wrote it in the puddles. He could have, he could have, he could have shouted it with the thunder. Kind of freaked us all out. But he could have made himself known in a, in a million other ways. He could have, the stars or the winds. That's not how he does it. Instead, God chose man. He was sent by God to be a witness to the light. Now here's what's super interesting. Let me show you this. Look in verse 6 again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was sent to testify about the light while the light was there. Jesus was there. And God still called John to bear witness about Jesus. Do you think Jesus could have just bore witness about himself? He did. Do you think he needed John's help to make himself known? Jesus was there. He called John to bear witness while the light was here. Walking, breathing, working miracles. And so, so hear me because... Jesus didn't need John to show his glory, to show his light. But evidently, God's wisdom in using men to proclaim the good news is for our joy. And it's for his glory. Evidently, in all of God's wisdom, it was it was his way to do that. Hear me. It's been his way from the beginning. In Exodus, this man named Moses, he's kind of on a hill. He's shepherding his deal. He's doing his work in his fields, right? All of a sudden, God speaks to him, verbally speaks to him through a burning bush. Kind of weird. He says, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let the people go that are in slavery. My people, go tell them. And Mo comes up with all these different excuses why that's not a good idea. Just like we do. Well, God, you know, listen, if God is going to talk to Moses verbally, why wouldn't God just go to Pharaoh and talk to him verbally? He chose him to go. And bear with it. he does the same thing with Isaiah, the same thing with Jeremiah, the same thing all throughout the scriptures. Over and over and over and over again, he says, you go and bear witness, go and tell the people, go and be proclaimers of the good news. And so over and over again, he comes to men, 
And at the end of the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And then in John chapter 1, a declaration is made. The light's here. Light's come. God has arrived. No more darkness. No more sin. I'm, I'm breaking that. I'm breaking the bonds of, of sin and slavery and death and guilt and shame. And the light has come to men and he's breaking through the darkness. And there was a man who was called by God to bear witness. The Savior has come. Could it be? Could it be that you were saved? That you were redeemed? That you were brought near to God? That the light has shone in your hearts in order to be a witness? And not just do this. You don't know the answer to that? Yes. Could it be that God redeems and saves and calls men to himself for something greater than this? Could it be that he calls men and women unto himself to push back what is dark, to proclaim that the light has come? But here's the danger. Instead of doing it, we just become busy doing everything else. Did you know nowhere in Scripture the Bible tells us or commands us or calls us to celebrate the birth of Jesus? You won't find it. The birth of Jesus is in there, so we have to do something with it. Proclaim it. Herald it. Never called to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we are called to testify to the light has come. In the middle of Jesus coming in the flesh, I pray that you would be open to the possible call of God upon your life. And not necessarily asking the question, hey, how are you going to celebrate Christmas? But rather, how are you going to bear witness? Maybe not the question, who are you going to celebrate the birth with? But rather, who are you going to bear witness to that the light has come? All Christians are called to be the light in Matthew 5. All Christians are called to be a witness in Acts 1.8 and 1 Peter. Some of you, hear me. Because I believe God wants to speak to some of you right now. Some of you are called to bear witness across the ocean. Some of you are called to bear witness at other parts of this country and other parts of this state. I believe that some of you are called to bear witness across the globe. And some of you are called to bear witness in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in the grocery store. You are called to bear witness in your living rooms. Sit down with your kids. Tell them that the light has come more than you talk to them about Santa. 
You're called to bear witness and create this, this understanding that the light has come and he's broken through the darkness. We are called to bear witness, not just get together and eat a meal. Open some gifts. I like it. But I think the reason, and he interrupts this, Introduction is just to show us that God still wants us to be a part of the redemptive story. Because let me just tell you, church is a lame hobby. Isn't it? This deal we do. That's why some of you are so bored. You're called to be a witness something greater. So how? How do we do it? Look in verse 6 again. Man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. Witness, bear witness, bear witness. Three times in three verses. I don't think it gets much more clear. He was called to bear witness. Do you you know what it takes to bear witness? Do you know what it takes to give a testimony? An experience. You have to have an experience to be able to witness something. To give a testimony to something. You have to actually experience it. John was a witness. John experienced Christ. Chapter 1, verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is God telling John, listen, you're going to baptize men. You're going to proclaim, you're going to bear witness in my name. But the one that you see the Holy Spirit descend and, 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 and be in, that's the one. I have seen and I've come to bear witness that he is the Son of God. So God spoke to John the Baptist, that the one was coming, and then he gave him the experience. Let me be clear. Uh, we, we can't save anybody. I hope you guys know that. We can't redeem anyone. We can't give anyone life. We can't bring anyone into the light, but we can bear witness. But we can give a testimony. You know, I think historically... When we've heard this idea of testimony, I, I think we, we've kind of butchered it a little bit. This is what it is. Uh, we go to somebody and we say, uh, I was bad, uh, and I'm, now I'm not bad anymore. And so uh, we think that's, that's testimony. Uh, and so whether they come up on stage or they sit down with you over a cup of coffee and say, yeah, you know what, I was bad, uh, but now I'm not bad anymore. And we go, oh, 
so encouraging to me. Life transformation. Yes, we do see life transformation. I think that's a part of it. But I think bearing witness and testimony goes well beyond just the story. It has to include our life. Some of you today, you struggle with testimony. And you struggle with bearing witness. Because you feel like your story is not heroic. Hmm? You feel like your story is not strong enough. You feel like you don't have the story that, you know, my back was against the wall, all my odds against me, two seconds left on the clock, and then a miracle. You don't have that. And so you feel like your story is not strong. And so you struggle with bearing witness. Can, can I be honest with you? I got the mic, so I guess I will. The reason why so many people struggle with testimony is because they lack experience with Jesus. The reason why so many people struggle with bearing witness is because somehow you believed that this is it. What's there to testify about? I sing some songs. And I prayed a prayer. It's not glorious. I think the reason why we struggle with bearing witness is, is because we don't have an experience. It's why so many of you got really excited a couple weeks ago when we took a hundred bags full of groceries and goods down to the homeless shelter. That's an experience you don't get in this room. It's why something in us said, this is great. There's something amazing to this. There's something good about this because we're actually pushing back the darkness. We're actually witnessing ourselves being broken, buying stuff with our money, giving stuff that was ours, giving stuff away, things that God's blessed us with. And so this is what it's about. It's why some of us got so giddy. Let me tell you, that's only the beginning. This is not it. That's it. Are you with me? And so, God, may we experience him in all of those ways, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of the experience, not just experiencing worn-out church attendance, but experiencing Jesus, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit when he says, go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. With your life. And so your life tells a story. Your life tells a story of your experience. And if we are honest, we experience a lot of church, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. But I pray that today we would experience him in such a radical way. That would cause us this holiday season to be lights to be a witness.
Because we will bear witness. You guys know that, right? We, witness, we bear witness to what we experience. It's why we put on Facebook, that steak was so good. Those, those cinnamon rolls. Oh, I've experienced tons. Oh, they're so good. Oh, this, this iPhone 5, I mean, the, the five, it's, so, it's so fast. It's so good. This app is amazing. We will bear witness. You can't help it. I pray that we would experience Jesus in that way that it would leave our mouths watering for more and saying, I've got to see him. I want to know him. I want to experience, I want to feel, I want to hear his voice. And so all of our pursuits from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed is about pursuing him and being a witness that he is better than life. He's better than anything under any tree. Oh God, may we experience you. John 20, 31 These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you may have life in his name. And so make no mistake about it. Christians are sent. In John 17, 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, so I sent you. Jesus came into the world, and now he sends us. In John 20, 21, it says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now let me close with this. How was Jesus sent? How are we to proclaim? Well, if you've got your Bible, flip over. To 1 John chapter 4. I know we're in John, but there's another book called 1 John, which is towards the back, right before Revelation. And so flip to the back. You'll see three little books. 1, 2, 3 John. Here's 1 John chapter 4. Just going to read it to you. Starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was coming among us, has made himself known, was made in appearance. This, this, God has made himself manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the Christmas story. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but rather he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the, that's the death that Jesus died on a cross was absorbing the punishment for darkness so that life could come. The wrath of God is upon us. We sin, we're in darkness, but Jesus has come in love and sacrificed himself, absorbed that wrath so that we can have life. That's what that means. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's capital S, his Holy Spirit. He's given us his spirit that we have seen and testify. There's that experience. We see, we experience, we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. And God sending his son in love should create such awe-inspiring compelling love that we have, that love has come so that we are to go and love with our lives. My hope beyond all hope is that when it's all said and done that there would be men And women, crowds of people that would say, there was a man who was sent by God whose name was Eric. He was not the light, but he just came to bear witness to the light. I pray as I look around this church, as we continue to move forward, I pray that we would be a church who we could say there was, there was a man sent by God whose name was Rico and Kevin. Ken, I, I pray that we could say there was a man, there was a woman sent by God whose name was Christy. Maggie and I pray that we would be a church that would be filled with such love where people would testify. I don't, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. And when it's all said and done, that our lives truly would point to Christ everywhere in every way. That's why we named the church Life Point. Because when God called me to start this church, I envisioned a church of lives that would point to Jesus Christ in every way. That we would be a church full of witnesses that wouldn't just simply come in and do church. So Christmas is here. Let's bear witness. Let's pray. Jesus, this is the most exciting, liberating, scary, makes my heart beat fast call that that you have for us and in us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us. Maybe you're here today. For the first time, maybe you've become aware of your brokenness. 
Maybe today you realize that you've been trying to overcome this darkness with so many things. You've tried to overcome the darkness with stuff, with with ideas, with things, but today you realize that you are in need of a true Savior. That is the beginning of your experience with God. If God is making himself known that you truly need a Savior, that is the beginning of your experience with God. Do not ignore that feeling, but rather admit it and confess it. Confess to God that you need him. Others of you, maybe, maybe you need a new, maybe, maybe you need a fresh experience with Jesus today. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit to kindle that fire. Maybe it's to clarify a call. Maybe it's, maybe it's to who or what. But you need the Holy Spirit to help you love, to help you know that you're loved to help you experience that love, to help you be a witness to that love. Do not ignore that feeling today, but rather admit it and confess it to God that you need him. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus, today, open our hearts to know how desperate and how much we need you. And we desire to be men and women called by God to bear witness that our lives are yours. May they point to you everywhere in every way. May that be your prayer.